Good morning and welcome back to the Isle of Faces. Welcome to our second episode of 100 Questions, The Winds of Winter. I nearly said Scraps and Scrolls, but I didn't. I'm learning slowly. I am your jolly green giant, your jack of all glades, and I'm speaking to you this time from an absolutely soaking wet England. Last time I said it was sunny and lovely, but I think the false spring might have tricked me. Took Princess Zelda out this morning. We were both drenched within minutes. Add another 90 minutes onto that and it, it wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. Luckily, I'm joined by someone who might have a bit more luck in the weather department. Emily of the Erie. How is it over there on the other side of the pond? Good morning. Uh, it is great here. It's sunny, not a cloud in the sky. Uh, wish I could send this weather your way. As I say that, I can see sun in the horizon. I think it waits for me to take the dog out. I don't think it's rainy all the time, only for me at the moment. Seems right. to be how it's going, but <laughs> you'll have to provide the solar energy for this one. I can do that. <laughs> so, welcome back, Emily. Welcome back, everyone else. This, this is our second episode, like I mentioned. The first one went pretty well, as far as I'm concerned. It seems like all our listeners out there have enjoyed it. The numbers have done very, very well. Numbers for other episodes recently have done very well. So the second century is off of a bang. And uh, we did have lots of lovely welcoming messages for Emily as well. Just to update you before we get going into our second episode here, we've got a few things to remind you of. Uh, where to start? We've had actually quite a lot of things to talk about. Yeah, yeah, we do. Let's start with the most recent uh, this past weekend, as of recording, by the time you listen to this, it might be a couple of weekends ago, but we were both invited on to the History of Westeros live stream to talk some Ariane. And obviously, seeing as uh, Emily only just had her first podcast the other day, it was her first live stream, it went well. You were fantastic, Emily. Thank you. Yeah, just diving right in. Uh, I had a blast. It was fun talking with you and Aziz and Ashea. Um, love talking about Ariane and uh, even more exciting to follow that up with your most recent episode about Ariane. So. Yeah, lots of Ariane going on at the moment, obviously. <laughs> the first is already out. Again, by the time you listen to this, Ariane 2 will probably be around. Uh, as explained on that episode, Fion has been rearranged so that we're staying in sync with History of Westeros. So that'll be for later. But Ariane right now, switch the snowy north for Desert Dawn instead. So that's quite nice. And uh, yeah, I think it did go really well. It was lovely to be over on History of Westeros. We thank them for inviting us in the first place and uh, hopefully we'll be back soon. What else? Well, we mentioned last time out that we were going to do some kind of icebreaker things with Emily. Welcome you other faces and the first one is in the book we did some spore called spectacular in spectacularing we did the opening sentences for a storm of swords and i don't want to spoil anyone again that will be out at least on patreon probably forever in public by the time you listen to this if you really don't want to be spoiled about the result just skip ahead a couple of seconds but i can confirm Emily, you defeated me with ease you got right past me you earned the crown straight off so you've really made an impression there yeah, uh, I think it was pretty close, though, was it not? I mean, I think I had a little bit of luck getting a few Daenerys chapters in there, which which are, of course, a lot easier to identify. Um, the settings are quite different. So um, excited for everybody to hear that. And yeah, hopefully we'll have uh, more opportunities to do fun things like that in the future. Yeah, definitely. We'll look into doing some live streams and stuff like that. I mean, there's no shortage of sparkle questions uh, just for A Song of Ice and Fire, so we can definitely get that going. But yeah, you, you did get a few Dannys, but let's not take away from your achievement. I think, <laughs> uh, this sounds cocky, but I think you're the first person to beat me. I might be wrong. Maybe I've just blanked out other people beating me before, but uh, all in good fun anyway. Like you say, a good way to get you involved and get you relaxed on the aisle. 
had to I had to show everyone I was credible to be here, you know. <laughs> well, you passed with flying colours, obviously. People who haven't listened to that, go and give it a go. Go and have a go of the quiz. That'll be in the show notes and uh, I'm going to tweet out the link and everything like that. So let us know how you did as well. Yeah, and uh, another exciting thing coming up soon, um, we're going to do a Patreon exclusive episode. Um, We've been kind of getting prepared for this. This will be um, an interview with me hosted by you. So, um, you know, if you haven't gotten to know me enough through my quiz answers or my opinions here on the the 100 questions uh we'll we'll definitely deep dive into me how i got into the series um other nerdy things that i'm into um if you have questions for that send them to us uh i'm sure that we'll we can work some of those in so yeah so i haven't had to, to wear my interviewer hat for quite a while but hopefully i can dust it off and that'll be another way to to break that ice and get you involved so we're looking forward to that like you say that will be for patrons only that one we're going to keep that exclusive and since we're talking about patrons emily would you like the honor again to to list our our jade branches here i would love to so welcome to our newest jade branch patron the gardener queen Mm. and of course welcome back to all of our regular patrons we've got lomas knight rider survivor of the yeen sleepover grizzly meadows glenn t aegon the sixth Lord Commander Namian Darklin, Kate M, and of course, Archmaester June, Healer of the Lesser Poxes. Yes, thank you one and all. It's great to have you aboard as always. And you might remember last time when we were doing these question uh, episodes, I mentioned that fellow patron Brandy T was uh, had had some ill health. We were wishing her a speedy recovery and happy to say that I've heard from Brandy T and she is indeed on the mend. She had some successful fairly major surgery and actually she told me that last time when she heard that shout out that really helped before going in for her surgery so let's hope that this second shout out aids in the recovery well done brandy T. we're thinking of you again absolutely we hope you uh get well soon so then let's get down to business i think let's crack on we do still have 90 questions to to cover uh, emily do you want to just give us the briefest of reminders just in case anyone's forgotten what we're doing here i'm sure everyone knows but just in case yeah absolutely so of course this is the 100 questions uh we're covering anything and everything the winds of winter um anything and everything that you send our way if you've already caught episode 100 where we debuted the 100 questions you'll know that we're averaging about 10 per episode so that's our goal for today as well some questions are deep dives some are broader some you know dive right into theories or specific storylines while others are a more general take or just opinions on what we're looking forward to And just as a reminder, we would love as many of these questions as possible to come from you listeners. You've been doing great so far with your suggestions. While our list is nearing 100, we do have to prune some down. There are some repetitive questions or things like that that we'll probably lump together and and make sure that everybody gets uh, their feedback in. But uh, what I'm getting at here is please keep them coming. Uh, If you can think of any questions, if you'd like a shout out out on the show, you can email us at isleoffacespodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us uh, at either Sir Buckley or I'm on Twitter now as well at Emily of the Erie. And uh, you can also send us a message on our Patreon. Heck, send us a raven if you've got one. Yeah, not just your questions either, but let us know your answers. You might have completely different opinions to the ones we give, or you might have something we've not thought of. If any of those completely stick out to us, then maybe we can include a few at the beginning of next episode and, and on and on and on. So get those involved as well. Other than that, I think we're pretty much ready. I think we've got everything covered. Scraps and scrolls is rolling along. We've got, obviously, these ones will be 
We're fairly regular. I don't think we've been too long since the last one. I think everyone remembers. Scraps on screens, that's still coming as well. Keep your eye on that and some extra patron stuff. Yeah, I think we've rounded it all off. So let's get going then. Let's get going with our 10. We're going from 11 to 20 today. Emily, would you like the honour of starting us off with our first question? I would love that. Our first question today, technically question 11 overall, what locations we've never been to before are you all looking forward to seeing in Winds of Winter? This is from James, one of our friends over at the Radio Westeros Discord. Yes, yeah, a strong opener here. Thank you, James. He is one of our besties over there at Radio Westeros. So thank you for sending that in. I always like talking geography and locations of Westeros. But my answer is probably uh, expected or it's unsurprising maybe to long-time listeners or even readers, which might give you a bit of a hint. I don't want to flog a dead horse, but I think I might have to. I did try to think of a horsey pun from A Song of Ice and Fire, but I couldn't actually remember any horses that die. Then I did. I remembered Smiler, of course. So I don't want to keep flogging Smiler or any other dead horse you can think of. (laughs) But my answer is give me Storm's End. Give it to me right now. I demand it. Long-time listeners will have heard me make the case for Storm's End all the way back in Clash and probably again in Dance, and most especially in the Big Old Castles book that I wrote a long time ago. But funnily enough, Great it's come book, up again. Great book, by the way. <laughs> oh, no, no, <laughs> thank you very much. I, I can't talk about it again in Paris too quickly. I'm going to skip work, keep ahead. I'm going to keep reading my notes. Uh, funnily enough, it's come up again recently because I have been writing the notes for Ariane 2, in which she returns us to the Stormlands. So I get to put on my stormy hat and do a little rant about how neglected this area of the world has been, despite being fairly central continent-wise and very, very central to the plot earlier on with the War of the Five Kings, and also important historically. And obviously at the centre of all that is Storm's End, one of the coolest castles you can find, definitely one of my favourites. There is a reason it is the first chapter of that big old castle's book that Emily is kind enough to give me a compliment about there uh, so if you have happened to come across that then you'll know it's right there right at the beginning that i really like that castle and I yeah won't i repeat. can't say i can't say i was surprised that this was your answer and uh, <laughs> you know i also feel like i can kind of uh understand why stannis was so upset about not getting storm's end the more that i read about it so not to interrupt but tell us more no, I agree. Uh, I'd be pissed if I was Stannis. I would definitely want Storm's End. I won't repeat the full rant for everybody here because it is in the book and I would do a kind of reduced version in Ariane too, so you can keep your ears open for that later. But Storm's End deserves some limelight. And I know I am cheating slightly from James's question because yes, we have seen Storm's End. We've even technically been within its walls or its borders with Davos and Melisandre, but we've never actually been inside it, which just continually blows my mind. <laughs> it's not made a big enough deal about. We've never been inside one of the most important castles in the realm, and I want to see it. I want to stand atop walls that are 80 feet thick. 80 feet! I want to be in the drum tower. I want to see Storm's End's weirwood tree, perhaps one of the very first to ever be captured in something resembling a godwood. I want to see the chambers where King Jaehaerys and Queen Alysanne said goodbye to their mother. Show me the round hall that witnessed the face-off between Lucerys Valerian and Aemon Targaryen. Show me things I don't even know about yet. Can we see Stannis's childhood bedroom? Is that still there? Is there a shrine to Proudwing? I must know. I, I, I have a couple more, but I'm going to let Emily have a chance to speak finally while I calm down a little bit from my Storm's End rant. <laughs> this is a great question to start off with because we're really leaning on your area of expertise here. And, uh, <laughs> you know, feel free to interject on any of mine because I guarantee you're much, much more well-researched on any castle oh, no. uh, in Westeros. But I don't actually necessarily expect to see this, but I had to say something about it because I would love to see Greywater Watch so much, the House of the Reeds. 
No, that is a nice one. Yeah, that's a good choice. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think we talked last time about Mira and, you know, Mm. is she around? What's going to happen with her? And I certainly would love for her to have some kind of, you know, remotely happy ending, get back to see her father. Maybe we actually get to meet Howland Reed, you know. Um, I'm not actually sure of the origins of this, but I did see a hilarious meme recently uh, seeing it referred to as Howland's Moving Castle, a play (laughs) on the Miyazaki film with a similar name. And I just love that. I thought that was so funny. So, um, you know, if people can find it, I would love to see Greywater Watch. She does get to go back there in the show, I guess. She gets a happy ending in the show. So maybe she does in the books. That I love that comparison. Yeah, definitely. And just as a quick bonus question aside, because I do love Howl's Moving Castle. Do you have a favourite? That is Studio Ghibli, isn't it? Howl's Moving Castle. Is that right? Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. So have you got, is that your favourite or is there another one? I would say it's one of my top two. I also love Spirited Away. It's it's, but it's hard to pick because they're almost all of them are amazing. I I think we could do a whole episode on. Oh, we certainly could. Films, we certainly but, could. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I probably have two as well. Um, probably I've not seen it for a long time. But Porco Rosso is amazing and funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Princess Mononoke. I don't know how other people pronounce it. I don't think I've ever said it out loud before, but. That's it might be my favorite film of all time, to be honest, at least non-comedy film. I like a lot of comedies, but that one means a lot to me. That is an amazing, amazing film. But you're right. We could get very distracted. It's so different than the rest. And I think it probably is the, you know, in a lot of ways, the most similar thematically to, uh, to A Song of Ice and Fire, just in terms Mm. of the setting and the epic nature of it. Not, not all the films are that way. It is. Uh, That's, that's my husband's favorite. So you guys, I'm sure would get along. (laughs) Good choice. All right. Back to Westeros. Um, Yeah, I guess we'll have to go back. I guess. I I love to be there. Um, We've been told that we'll see Casterly Rock, and I'm really excited about that. But I'm actually more excited to see about what context we see it in. You know, what POV Mm -hmm. will go there? Uh, Under what circumstances? Will it be Cersei returning, kind of ousted from King's Landing? Will it be Tyrion triumphantly, you know, becoming Lord of the Rock? Uh, Will it be something much bloodier? We we don't know. Um, You know, you want to share a little bit about just maybe some fun facts? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's certainly parts of Castle Rock I'd be interested to. I think we did talk about a little bit last time, didn't we, about what might happen there or how we'd be how we might wind up there and who and all those kind of things i think you know i've got one more answer for this um i think if we do see a flashback or a vision through bran i you know i'd love to see the tower of joy it's a mm. moment in the show that I, I i mostly enjoyed uh not speaking about john's name at all but everything else about it i i really liked to see fun to see you know ned confront arthur dane and the <laughs> Uh, Knights of the Kingsguard, um, you know, emotional, heartbreaking, uh, amazing to see Ned and Liana together. Um, mm. I would just, I'd love to see that and and uh, to read about it. So yeah, Bran, he's almost like our cheat code for this question. We we could see loads of places that we won't actually get to visit. We won't actually get to be present in, but we could see them, especially if he has like a little montage like he does in Dance of Winterfell, where he's kind of like zooming through all the weirwoods. Yeah. He can, as his powers kind of extend in in range. Uh, And maybe we see some places that like he's not going to recognize them all. So we'll we'll probably have a lot of fun pouring over the clues and saying, oh, this is this place and no, 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 it's that place and that kind of thing. That'll be quite fun. Yeah, it'll almost be like interpreting like a prophecy, but in a slightly different manner than some of the prophecies yeah. we've had before 
And, and like you say, places that aren't around anymore, like the Tower of Joy, that would really be our only access point. So ones like that or like Summer Hall or something like that, that could be really oh, cool. You read my mind. I was going to say <laughs> Summer Hall. <laughs> other than that, some other candidates for me. Well, firstly, one I don't really want to see, oddly enough, would be the Isle of Faces. I quite like it being a mystery. And besides, we're here busy recording. I don't want any interruptions. So Bran or otherwise, just keep out for now, please. But I also think if that is to come up, I would guess it'd be more likely in A Dream of Spring than Winds. That just seems more thematically linked to that book than this one, if I really had to bet. Mm -hmm. Uh, On top of that, some other ones that would be cool and that we're probably quite likely to see would be like Hard Home, Skagos. I mean, I think we're almost guaranteed to see at least one, if not both of those. Uh, On the other side of the map, Starfall, for example, that would be pretty cool as well. We might get to see it. There's a decent chance, I think, we get to see that through Hotar. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's going to be loads, isn't there, really? We're not going to be short of, <laughs> not going to be short. Even in the preview chapters, you get far more new places than you would actually think just for those chapters alone. Ariane, for example. Yeah, you know, I was also I was also thinking, like, will we see other locations on the wall? Like, we've obviously seen the mm. Night Fort. We've spent a lot of time at Castle Black, you know, um, knowing what we know about what's going on um, in other places. You know, might we see other forts in a POV rather than just in the mention? Yeah, that's a great show, actually, especially now that obviously they've, a lot of them have people in and have wildlings settled in. So I wonder if we, I can't even remember which one Tormund's is now, but uh, yeah, we could see several of those. I think that'd be very cool. Okay, right then, on to our second question of the day. Question 12 overall. This one is from yours truly. Who will be the next nimble dick? But And what I mean by that is who's going to be the fan favourite? For anyone who pays attention to the tournament ran by Davos Fingers, A Song of Madness, you'll know the nimble dick fever that seizes everyone at that time of year. So maybe not particularly like old nimble dick in character or in personality but just in how people (laughs) seem to uh, really enjoy that character or rush to emily do you have any options yeah i mean i don't think that there's anyone out there like nimble dick so yeah i agree with your interpretation of this only one some options for me um my first one that came about i i think orain waters i think we might have even touched on him really briefly in our last episode in a different context but um honestly just the way that he basically used you know some cunning but also definitely his appearance to swindle the royal navy away from cersei like without really like any difficulty because she was (laughs) ready to give it up that just had me cracking up every time i think about it i just laugh it's one of cersei's most hilarious blunders um you know we hear about him in arianne one referenced you know lord of the waters so he's still out there he's you know making moves uh he's part of this whole just conundrum of what going on at sea uh, lots of ships lots of confusion we've got people from lice from volantis from the golden company we've got the red wine fleet we've got Greyjoys, and then of course there's the lord of the waters so i i'm just thrilled <laughs> that he's still included and i can't wait to see what happens with him so i think this might be the first question that i remember that we're like diametrically opposed on because i'm the opposite of a fan of rain waters i can't stand the guy i think we mentioned this on history of westeros but firstly he sucks at picking his own nickname the lord of the waters not a fan of that of all the nicknames you could get but i also just found him while he is his scenes uh like you say highly amusing and brilliant because cersei all but gives him the keys basically but i also just found him in himself uh, an annoying arrogant pup that could definitely use a slap but then this is a fan award not a joe award so it's plenty possible i do see where you're coming from 
Uh, I oh, definitely yeah. don't 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 mistake me either. I don't like think he's a good person at all. <laughs> um, and and I agree that the nickname needs some work. At least go with like long waters, like or, you know, add a little something to it. But but yeah, I, I just I'm fascinated with what happens next. I, I hope it's not just a fizzling out, you know. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I think he is coming back. I mean, he has. I think again, I think we mentioned this with Aziz, but he has like a really a big fleet like the best fleet on those waters the pirate other pirates they're not gonna be able to contend with him someone's gonna either want those ships or want his allegiance could very well be daenerys when she finally comes across it could be someone else so he's he's far from done so i think you'll definitely get the opportunity to see him yeah absolutely um my my second pick for this uh maybe pate um this is kind of a weird one so i'll explain where i'm going with this you know um we obviously know the true pate met his downfall and his prologue chapter but he shows up again in sam's final chapter in feast um he's likely or almost certainly being inhabited by a faceless man uh probably jack and hagar who knows you know we know there are many of those agents out there in the world i don't think we'd recognize jack in any way with the way that he changes his Hmm. faces so to me just this whole concept that it's not the real pate it's just highly intriguing if he's doing a good job of kind of keeping up uh, appearances as this unremarkable pate thrust together with Sam, Alaris, Leo Tyrell, I just think like it's gonna it's going to be entertaining to watch. Where I think as as readers, I'll probably be giggling along with uh, with, with that. I hope. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting idea to me because I, I've always figured that like the pate that we were introduced to is just gone. He's dead, and it is jackin slash the alchemist or whoever just took his face or something but the evil way is perfectly possible and i suppose even if that's true then that faceless man whoever he is if he knows pate well enough if he's been studying him then he could still represent that same character that same personality because he obviously wants to use his role like you say like we saw at the end of of feast so i I guess it comes down to a question of like what counts as character like if he's representing the pate that we knew then it's still kind of the same character isn't it if you get me but uh yeah that's definitely very interesting i think that might come up uh, in a later question as well this this whole storyline of pate and uh what's going down at the citadel i i kind of expect that we'll see you know as much as possible you know acting or you know and trying to interpret or react to things around our pov character sam as pate Hmm. because people who knew the real pate should be around as well like leo alaris etc but i think that George is clever and we're probably going to see little glimmers of like, hmm, the real Pate probably wouldn't have said that or wouldn't have done that or, hmm, this person seems a little more per- perceptive or sneaky or um, I'm, I'm just excited for these little clues or little little bits we'll see here and there. So Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if people can poke holes in the in the disguise, I guess, and how much time they have before everything really kicks off in, in Old Town yeah. and if that really gets explored. That's a great point. I, you've heard a couple of my fan favorites now or at least this fan um but what about you i think it is gonna have to be elia sand for me again i won't go on too much because brought this up on history of westeros as well but she's appearing in scraps and scrolls at the moment in the ariane chapters and i i just think she's great she's cool she's witty she wants to go and make her mark on the world and i'm falling ever more in love with the idea that we'll see her actually get to do some jousting in a celebratory Aegon tournament in King's Landing. Uh, I love the juxtaposition of her name being 
Elia, but her nature being Liana, two women who are obviously very, very connected thematically, but never actually interacted. So she's my pick, definitely. And just, uh, she's my favourite out of the new characters we've got so far in the preview chapters. And I think she's going to take everyone else by storm as well. But like I say, that's just me and, and Emily, your choice is yours. But this is a fan award. So this is definitely one that everyone can let us know their picks for. I think we've got a few of these today, actually, that would yeah. be quite easy for people to send their answers. We'd love to hear from everyone who you think is going to be your new fan favourite or someone jumping ahead in your rankings, maybe. Yes, please tweet at us. I want to know. Um, it's mm. always hard to pick a fan favourite when you're only one fan. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Ready for the next question? Yes, please. All right. Um, this question comes to us from actually a few of my friends here where I live in Michigan, uh, chatting about the last episode and this came up. So cool. Uh, this question is, what storyline or character do you find most difficult to predict in wins, either immediately or over the whole course of the book? Well, actually, yeah, this is what I was just referencing. I hadn't written this down, but now that you bring it up and now that we're talking through it, the Pate angle or the alchemist angle of the Citadel, I've got no idea what's going on there. Uh, just to add in, this isn't even my actual answer, but now I'm thinking about it. I've got ideas what Euron could do or what Sam might end up doing, but that specific part of it, what the alchemist is up to and what he's looking for, I've really, really got zero idea. I don't know if you've got any ideas just to put you on the spot, Emily, but that is one I'm very, very confused about. Yeah, I, I don't know either. The That prologue chapter probably took me by surprise more than any of the others, So, uh, except maybe the, the very first one. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious as well. I think we have some ideas about what's going to happen in Old Town, but in terms of yeah. like Pate specifically and what the new Pate's goals actually are, um, I, I think that's something that's going to be answered in wins, but it's there's not a lot of info for us to start theory crafting on, I don't think. No, and that's, that's definitely one of the ones we've got the least evidence for because like we, like you say we've got it in the prologue and we literally have it in like the last sentence of feast and that's going on like 16 years ago and we've got nothing like, there's nothing else to even connect it to really so that's just one we've really we're really just gonna have to wait and see for exactly yeah i was gonna say that was your unofficial answer what's your yeah, unofficial that was answer official. that was me going off on a tangent well in terms of what happens immediately like right at the beginning i would have to go with whatever's happening with jamie Brienne and Stoneheart, plus like the Brotherhood in general, that whole area, Riverlands type plotline. Everyone out there listening will know I'm not really one for theorizing or predicting overall. It's just not my thing, but it does obviously come up quite a lot. I know it is a big thing for everyone else, and that's brilliant because there's lots of people out there who are really, really good at it. Personally, I never like to look too closely, but doing these kind of questions and even scraps and scrolls, I have to sometimes. And I have even my own ideas or I've seen different ideas for what will happen later on in the book with these cast of characters. But before that, there just seems to be like this little blob, this block at the beginning that remains unclear to me. I can never quite see through about what happens immediately when Brienne brings Jamie back to Stoneheart. I think we know the general framework it will take. There's going to be something resembling a trial, or there'll definitely be talk of oaths because we know that's what kind of binds Jamie and Catelyn together, and also Brienne's there with Oathkeeper, so that's all thematically fitting. Uh, maybe there's some more swearing of oaths involved. Maybe there's even a forced duel if Stoneheart really wants to be cruel. They're all good possibilities, but nothing, nothing that reaches out and grabs me of precisely what the initial Brienne or Jamie chapters will involve. And I must say, while I just mentioned that I can foresee later storylines to the group after getting through this block, I do actually struggle, I must admit, with placing Brienne. I'm not really sure what her wins arc is going to be about 
about. I think we all assume it's going to either point her to go along with Jamie or point her to go along with Stoneheart. But I'm just not convinced of either and I can't really pick. I think actually maybe out of all of our POVs, I've got the least sense of direction for Brienne right here at the beginning, which is fitting for Brienne because she spent a lot of feasts kind of wandering about not knowing where to go. So maybe that can continue. But yeah, I really don't have any idea what she's going to be up to for the bulk of the book. I, I agree with you. And I think um, I think it was a uh, recent uh, Winds of Winter primer from Radio Westeros where they broke down several different theories or options for how things could go. But I found myself completely unable to pick a path or to, you know, it all seemed equally plausible to me. And I think mm. that there are other things outside of that, that that could happen as well. I, I, I love Brienne. I love Jamie. They're probably two of my top five characters. So, um, you know, I've got this mental block on the idea that either of them could die, but, um, you know, they're in a pretty dangerous situation and we can't, can't rule that out either. So, um, yeah, great, great pick here. What about yours? Yeah, my pick, uh, for me, it would have to be Cersei and just mm. King's Landing in general. Um, it's been one of the biggest locations in the series for a long time. We've had so many POVs in and out of King's Landing. I'm just going to start by breaking down kind of where we left things and how many variables go into what could possibly be going on in, in King's Landing and with Cersei, because I think this is why this is my answer. Um, <laughs> so Cersei has recently completed her walk of shame and has been presented with her new white cloak, uh, Sir Robert Strong. There are trials upcoming for Cersei and Marjorie. Uh, we've got much of the Tyrell strength kind of scattered or weakened from where it was uh, around, you know, the both of the weddings, I suppose. We don't know the fate of Loras. You know, Cersei herself doesn't have very many allies either. So the fact that the Tyrells are a bit more spread out isn't a huge boon to her, um, given everything that's happened to her lately. You know, uh, in the, the dance epilogue, we know Pycelle and Kevin Lannister have been murdered. Varys is back in play, clearly not a friend to Cersei. Uh, Jamie did not return uh, it, it, to her like she had hoped. Uh, you know, her letter, very emotional, didn't seem to have the impact that she wanted. Um, and of course, let's not forget a literal child sits on the Iron Throne. So that, and that's just King's Landing. Like, let's talk about everything else too. We've got Aegon in the south. We've got Dorne still holding Marcella, pretending to play nice while planning to back one or the other dragon. Certainly not Cersei. Um, the situation at the Wall, terrible. Stannis and the Boltons occupied for now, but you know that that's gonna I think resolve itself in wins. We've got Danny, uh, you know, still tied up in her mirror and he's not, but the dragon rumors are spreading. That's gonna have an impact on things in Westeros, even if she doesn't show up right away. And then let's not forget Peter fucking Valish in the in the Vale, uh, scheming away with Sansa. So um, this is the reason I choose Cersei because like so many things that I just listed here, the outcome of that is going to impact her storyline. She's really at the center of it. You know, she holds King's Landing for now, we think, but that grip is very tenuous. She has very few allies. It's almost a matter of which shoe drops first. What will happen to her, I think? That was a great pick, yes. Really strong, I have to agree with you. I remember doing that dance epilogue for, I don't know how many hours, in the the last episode for the dance, Scraps and Scrolls. And, I mean, like I say, it was hours and hours. And I know I barely touched the surface of the different things going on in King's Landing. Like, I didn't even touch the trials and what could happen there. Uh, There's obviously things to happen before. I think this is actually fairly similar in why I can't see Brienne, Jamie Stoneheart. I think it's the same thing. There's a block at the beginning I can think of things after. I can think of what's going to happen when Aegon, assumedly, comes along and stuff like that. 
But before that, the initial is really hard for me to see. I can't really think of what's going to happen with the trial with her or Marjorie. I could guess about something with Gregor slash Robert Strong going all out and replicating something from the show in terms of violence. But as for the details, no, my ideas don't become clearer until Aegon and the others start showing up. And don't forget the Sand Snakes are coming and we've still got the uh, High Sparrow and all those things. I mean, mm-hmm. as you touched on, there's a million, million things going on. Varys, I've got no, I know what Varys is going to do overall he's going to get Aegon there but what's he going to do beforehand to continue messing up Cersei and the Tyrells and what is the reaction to both Kevin and Pycelle's murder who accuses who who makes those accusations stick and all those kind of things yeah I really can't begin to guess that's that's a great pick from yourself yeah and I think actually our two answers clearly knit together a little bit because we're talking about Jamie and Cersei and you know they're clearly about as intertwined as you can be I, you know, I expect their stories to intersect again at some point, but they both have really dangerous situations to survive before that can happen. And so um, how that all shakes out, uh, I hope we find out soon. Yeah, definitely a nice connection between the two answers there. I'm not personally sure they'll meet again in King's Landing. I know this is touching on our other mm-hmm. earlier question, but I could see them reuniting maybe at Castle Rock. Maybe it is King's Landing, but nothing's pointing me that direction there quite yet. Yeah, well, we'll just have to wait and see, I guess. Indeed. Great question. Great question. And I think our next question uh, comes from one of our patrons. You want to kick that one off? Yeah, indeed. This is from Grizzly M, Grizzly Meadows, to give the full patron name. So thank you, Grizzly, for sending this one in. We kept it for our second episode. You actually wrote in a, a really long message, which was a pleasure to read. I've cut it down just a little bit here so we have the, the question to focus on. What it comes down to is, what was Tywin Lannister doing in Lease? And Grizzly says, was it something to do with the pleasure houses and Tywin's own sexual hang-ups? Is it related to the tie prefix that Tyrion and Grizzly fought about during Dance, about Lannisters maybe being in Essos and long-lost Lannisters and that, that kind of thing? It's a big, big question. Emily, do you want to try and tackle it first? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Grizzly, for um, making me put a lot more thought into Tywin Lannister's sex life than I ever have before. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I kid, I kid. Uh, I really, I do like this question a lot. Um, I had to put some thought into it. There's a, there's a lot going mm. on. Like you said, you trimmed it down. I think you know there were some great points and thoughts made in it. There's clearly some evidence that Tywin has some you know weird sexual hang-ups dating back to his father's mistress. I certainly would not consider Tywin to be a sex-positive character. I don't think that the term sex-positive exists in Westeros to begin with, although I think there are a few characters who who lean that way. Um, But taking a journey to list just for the pleasure houses seems a bit out of character, and I think that the evidence that we have you know, suggests otherwise. Not to say that that's not part of what he was doing there, but um, I think, you know, taking a trip specifically for that purpose is a bit out of character for someone as, Mm -hmm. like, image-obsessed and, you know, intent on his own control of things as Tywin. Uh, Nevertheless, according to the Mercy chapter, he definitely did go there. So would you like to remind us of that quote? Yeah, sure. There's actually talk about what Grizzly's referring to here, the evidence here. So it says... Down in Lease and Myr and Old Volantis, the other guard replied. He was an older man, big-bellied and grizzled. I went to Lease with Lord Tyron once, when he was hand to Aerys. Yeah, so we know this older guard visited Lys back during the, the, you know, Tywin's handship. So we have a rough dating on it due to that. Um, And by the way, I just want to give a little shout out uh, to History of Westeros. They just put out an amazing audio play of the Mercy Sable chapter. Mm. Uh, This quote here uh, was delivered by Yoke Boy, who plays the old guard. So uh, if you're not a patron of theirs or if you aren't following them, I 
you need to listen. It's so wonderful. Um, I encourage everyone to not listen now. I don't want me being compared to Yoke Boy. I will come up short in that comparison. Go ahead and, you know, don't don't pause us. Finish this episode. But, you know, for a little dessert later, definitely go check that out. Yeah, definitely do. Yeah. So as I said, we don't really know the exact timeline, but I think uh, whether and I think whether the trip happened before or after Joanna's death will make all the difference in terms of, you know, what, how much the pleasure houses came into play. It's very clear that Tywin loved Joanna. There are so many remarks made to confirm this, um, you know, all the smiles dying uh, when with her death. You know, I, I think, you know, the purpose of the trip was probably truly official business, either hiring sellsword companies for a coming conflict, maybe doing some cleanup after the War of the Ninepenny Kings. Uh, he certainly could have been seeking a lost Valyrian blade, which I will not touch on too much right now because we have another question about that coming up later. Um, he could have been hunting down rumors of remaining Blackfires even. You know, there's there's so many reasons he could have gone. What do you think? Yeah, I think this is where I would most likely land, to be honest. Just off the top of my head when I first read this question before even really trying to look into it, I figured it would either be trying to find a bride for Rhaegar, as Stefan Baratheon was, maybe later on, maybe at the same time. Again, the timeline's a bit confused. Uh, he was sent to do that, so maybe Tywin was the same. Or it was maybe a smoothing out of trade issues or relations following the war. Probably the trade part, to be honest. Like, that is quite an important thing to, to make sure you've got down. I hadn't thought about the Blackfires part, so that's a really good point. I don't know how much of that was a thing that Aerys dedicated a lot of thought to. Was he particularly bothered about that? Was he worried about that? Uh, some of that comes into the timing of the writing that we know George didn't really come up with the Blackfire stuff until a bit later when he'd already established Aerys quite a lot so they don't quite uh, mix with the backstory but that doesn't mean we can't find out about it later or maybe he didn't think about that because Tywin was doing the thinking for him maybe Tywin was worried about uh, that kind of thing coming up again later maybe this was a trip where he was uh, kind of nipping that in the bud but I'm yeah I'm not too sure you have some more thoughts on it though don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually want to kind of jump off of something you said here um, regarding the Blackfires, which it would be such an interesting parallel if, you know, that was part of the reason we've got, you know, Ares paranoid about Blackfires. And then, you know, one kind of leader later, we've got Robert paranoid about Daenerys and Viserys, you mm, know, so, um, you know, there's always this kind of other threat from Essos. Um, I, I kind of like the idea of that, uh, whether or not it's true, we don't know, as you said there, you know, there's a lot of like out of uh, world reasons why that might not come up. Although given that this came up for us in wins, uh, I think that certainly Blackfires are potentially in play. So yeah, true. maybe we'll find out. Maybe this is just like a little mystery we'll never know the answer to. But um, to get to kind of some of the other points that uh, Grizzly Meadows made, we know there's a lot of history uh, throughout the books of Lannisters visiting Essos. That's actually where they lost their Valyrian sword way, way back in the forging of the Seven Kingdoms. Unfortunately, the, the king, the Lannister king bearing it and his golden fleet were lost after a final stop in Volantis. Um, you know, they reference the golden fleet coming to Volantis leaving, never being seen again. Uh, people actually went out and looked for them and nothing came up. Uh, so this is just that's just one of the many Lannister trips uh, east over the centuries. You know, obviously, much more recently, we've got Tywin's brother disappearing over there as well. So, uh, you know, we have to remember that in addition to the Lannister love or fondness for using Ty as a prefix in their names, there's an entire city in uh, over there named Tyrosh. And so uh, that equally could have been contributing to the popularity of Ty names. So just a counterpoint there. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I like the Tyrosh point because I know people do go with the Ty thing quite a lot. I had to do it a little bit because Tyrion focuses on it a lot in dance. It does seem like one of those things where like, 
Why is George bringing this up unless we're supposed to be taking notice of it? So I understand why people do fixate on that, but I do think, like you say, Tarosh is kind of kind of an example there. That could just be some of Tyrion's like drunken narcissism too, of oh, Tyrion, Ty, hmm, you know, that Very obviously much. relates back to me. <laughs> Very much so. I think that's a, that is a Lannister thing in general, that everything must relate to, I mean, look at Cersei, nothing happens without it being related to her in some way. So yeah, that's, that's dead on. For this answer overall, I, I did have to really look into it because to be honest, I'd completely forgot that this was a thing, that, that we knew this. I know it had come up as a topic of discussion recently in some parts of the fandom, but it's nothing I've ever really dedicated a lot of thought to. In fairness, we haven't covered the Mercy chapter in Scraps and Scrolls, and that's, this is where we get the evidence from, so I've not had to think about it yet. But sometimes there are things I think can be picked at too much that don't hold as much importance or as many secrets as fans might like. And I'm not saying this is one but it definitely could be i think i do like the idea that he would like to look for bright raw slash jerrion but i just i just can't convince myself that tywin lannister of all people remember he is like he mocked that trip for jerrion and when Tyrion suggested he wanted to go as well he didn't think it was a worthy thing i just can't believe that he would ever take a trip for either of those purposes solely Firstly, there's nothing we know of to suggest that Lisa would be a good starting place anyway, but it also just doesn't match with his personality. Would he have a quick look around if he happened to be there on actual official business just in case? Yeah, sure, but I don't think that would be the reason for him to go. So I land back on the bride thing. I think it's the same with the sex worker question. Like if Tywin really wanted to interact with some sex workers, he could still do that in King's Landing. Like we know we know he does later on for a start, but even at that back at that point, he could still very well do that. Now, depending on the timeline and who he wants to keep that secret to, okay, yes, you could argue maybe he does want to go all the way across the narrow sea for that kind of thing, but I just it wouldn't be the sole purpose. So I come back to the bride thing, like I say, which he was probably doing just to keep Eris happy because remember he wanted to marry Cersei to Rhaegar. So maybe he's just going over saying, yeah, I'll go and look. Oh no, I did have a look around. At least there was no one there, unfortunately. Yeah, it's crazy. I met so many blonde women and none of them are as good as my daughter. So yeah. Sorry, oh, I did look. I imagine there's theories out there of him delivering Taisha to Lise or something like that, but they don't hold water with me, so I'm going to go with the bride option, I think. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. I like that. All right, well, I think we've given that, given that a lot of weight. I'll move us on to our next question, which I did hint about a little bit here. So um, this next question comes from Willard the Slumbery, another friend of ours on the Radio Westeros Discord. Uh, he asks... Will any new Valyrian steel swords be introduced on page? And if so, which ones? Yeah, this might even be my question of the week. I really like this one. This is another one we could go very deep dive on. Oh, yeah. What we'll do first off is we'll just list the known Valyrian steel swords that we haven't seen, but that we expect to be out there somewhere. So obviously, let's kick off with Blackfire. We know that one. That was last known to be with Bitter Steel over in Essos. Very closely tied with that is Dark Sister last seen in possession of Blood Raven and likely up above the wall, maybe very, very, very close to Bran right now. A lot of people mm-hmm. think that. As we've just mentioned, there is Bright Roar, lost by Tommen Lannister II, like you said, a king, on his way to Valeria. With Bright Roar, just to, to reiterate what we said before, you know, that was that potentially was lost at sea. So this yeah. doesn't strike me as one that I think we're going to find. Um, it, you know, I don't see anyone getting to Valyria and finding it. I don't see anyone inventing scuba diving and finding it, but uh, hmm. it's certainly worth a mention. Well, if Melisandre can find Davos's finger bones, if she did, then may, maybe someone can find Bright Roar. But you're right, might be at the bottom of the ocean, might be in Volcano, Valeria, could be anywhere. Or maybe someone has it. 
on their shelf. Mm -hmm. uh, but for some lesser known ones, we've also got Vigilance, which is the sword of House Hightower. Now, this one was last seen all the way back in the Dance of the Dragons, and it was wielded by Ormond Hightower before he was slain by Roddy the Ruin in the Battle of Tumbleton, and no one's seen it since. So maybe it was just lost there, but maybe not. Maybe it was recovered. We haven't met enough Hightowers to really know yet. In the same way, there is Lamentation of House Royce, also lost during the Dance of the Dragons, this time during the Storming of the Dragon Pit. Now that one, because that was like a riot type thing, that's much more likely to be completely lost than the others, but again, who knows. I think we can kind of exempt Blackfire and Dark Sister from this answer because they might be pretty likely to show up, but I think there's, that'd be a pretty popular answer. People have got lots of theories about those two. If anything, I was more surprised that Blackfire hasn't shown up already. Like when, mm. when Aegon kind of outs himself, that would have been um, a great moment. But, you know, perhaps that's being held off on purpose to be something that, you know, should be done in Westeros to kind of lend him legitimacy. I don't know. A lot could, a lot could be happening with Blackfire. I definitely think we see that very, very soon. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'll go with the, those lesser two then, Vigilance and Lamentation. I'd like to see them both, actually, because we're definitely going to meet more of House Hightower and we're going to uncover a lot of their mysteries and wins, likely through Sam. We already got a little tidbit of it there at the end of Feast, but I think we're going to get more of that. So I'd like him to meet various members. There's quite a few of them, actually, but I would definitely like him to meet Lord Leighton Hightower, who's been there at the top of the tower for ages doing who knows what. Lots of mysteries there. Uh, that would be very, very cool. And, well... The Vigilance, the name, is the stronger thematic link because the High Towers, historically, they've always kept a vigil over Old Town, which was the original cradle of Westerosi society for centuries. But more specifically, like I said, late in High Tower, he's been waiting. Maybe he's been protecting something we don't really know. So I like the idea that he's been keeping Vigilance, the sword, up there at the top of the tower for all this time until it's really needed. Maybe Sam gets his hands on it. Maybe someone else gets their hands. Give it to Gilly. I just want Gilly to get more things. <laughs> so yeah i'm really hoping for that one i think that's probably the more likely yeah i, I like that answer well researched <laughs> <laughs> and on the other side of things lamentation for house royce well house royce we know many more of them we've already met a lot of them they're probably going to be quite involved in the fail plot and well i'd like it if they went on full-on rebellion to stop be baelish and maybe that includes getting out this sword that no one's seen for ages yeah, maybe. <laughs> I've got. I think I have differing opinions on this one than you do. Uh, uh oh, <laughs> no. Um, no, no, that's fine. You know, I've I've seen some some comments before about how this could be something that that Littlefinger uses to kind of further gain a grip or some control over House Royce. You know, we we hear so much about the tapestries, and I, I know there's a theory out there that perhaps Lamentation is rolled up in one of those tapestries and is being brought to the mm. Vale uh, as kind of a you know a bargaining chip. Um, how far that bargaining chip goes and if that matters and if that bargaining chip ultimately gets turned against Peter Baelish, we'll find out. But, um, uh, you know, I think it kind of depends on how it shows up, what will happen with that. Yeah, I mean, I guess if Peter Baelish is already aware of it, like you say, if he's aware of it first instead of them, like, unveiling it against him, then, yeah, probably bad news and he probably will use that as a, another wedge drive further because he'll know the the value of such the symbolic nature of such and he has a history of valerian steel himself so that'll definitely work out so yeah that's a good point well made what's your serious pick though i know you have one <laughs> well i'm gonna i'm gonna cheat a little bit again i'm gonna name nightfall which is currently in possession of harris harlaw uh, now that does show up in feast we meet harris he's one of ash's champions but 
and she mentions that he's got the sword but we don't like get a look at it he doesn't get it out or anything like that so i'm going to count it as one that would it would basically be new if it really featured in wins now i bring it up nightfall because that was house greyjoy's sword but they lost it to their relations somehow they're, they're quite closely connected to the harlors we don't know how it changed hands but it did i think house greyjoy would probably quite like it back especially euron with his appreciation of valerian steel things if he's got his armor well, he'd probably quite like a sword as well and nightfall seems like it would match quite well with him uh, thematically as well i'm very interested in its naming nightfall will we see a knight be felled by nightfall is that what it's going to be used for or is it something closer to the winterfell naming is it used to fell knight maybe or is it something to do with the long night they're all possible but definitely i think they would great house Greyjoy would really really like that back again especially euron because remember out of the the great families great houses very very few of them actually have any valerian steel the starks did they don't currently unless you count longclaw uh the Greyjoys did they lost theirs the last is they lost theirs the targaryens did and supposedly they lost theirs so there's not a lot floating around so it'd be a big thing for them to get back yeah, absolutely. I, I, lo I love your point about the naming convention, too. I think, you know, there's so much symbolism or so much interesting stuff that that could play into later. So I'm, I'm excited to see if any of that shakes out. Um, I think you did an awesome job of profiling all of the known uh, Valyrian blades linked to Westeros. But I also want to bring up a point that Tyrion makes. Uh, this is a quote from him in A Storm of Swords. Valyrian steel blades were scarce and costly, yet thousands remained in the world perhaps 200 in the Seven Kingdoms alone. Now we know, I think the exact number is like 227 in Westeros, which suggests that if there are thousands remaining in the world, a lot probably are in Essos uh, or mm. other areas of the known world. Um, we've got several POV characters over that way right now. And so I'm just curious to see if anything that we've never heard of before might show up in a Tyrion chapter or with Danny, Barristan, Victarion, maybe even Arya before she heads back to Westeros. Though I have to say, uh, Arya is probably my least likely pick for, for getting a blade because she's so interlinked with Needle and I, I yeah. would almost find it odd for her to change weapons. Um, definitely, definitely. Granted, we, She might we, see one though. Yeah, I mean, we saw her take up the, the Valyrian steel dagger a few times uh, in the show, but, you know, that's the show. We don't, you know, that might not have anything to do with this, so. No, I agree. I think there's, there'll definitely be a lot we've got no idea of popping yeah. up there's also the um i can't remember the name of where they're going now it comes up early in the stannis davos thing where they're talking about is it Celtigar? Uh, they're talking about that raid that um the florent wants them to go on uh, and it's mentioned yeah. they've got like a bunch they've got like a valerian steel axe i think or there's something in there um yeah so there's there's lots of different items around as well that might have a sword around so we're gonna see lots of them i think yeah so i've got kind of a little bonus question here um, go on I think you probably will have a great answer for it. Um, is there an ancient or old house that you're surprised we haven't seen linked to a Valyrian steel sword yet? If you're going to pick a house that you'd love to see with one that has had no reference in the text so far, can you think of a hypothetical name for that hypothetical sword? Uh, yeah, injured. Well, like I just said, it's, it's surprising who hasn't who hasn't really. There doesn't really seem to be like that much of a, a pattern to who has a Valerian steel sword and who hasn't. Probably because if you come across one, you grab it and you <laughs> keep hold of it. So it's just kind of a, a finders keepers thing to a certain degree. But I think there are a lot of houses that 
probably have had them in the past and we have we haven't learned about it or we're just surprised it don't have them this is a good question I like this this is definitely one that people can uh, email in with give us your houses give us your made-up names i'm sure you're going to do better than better than i will i'm thinking house blackwood they're an ancient house they're very very old they've got lots of creepy mystical things in their background and probably uh, tons of possible names of them because there's so much to do with house blackwoods we associate them with trees or ravens or the color black or even weirwoods so what in terms of names well, blackbird that would be good but it'd be a bit misdirecting because they're not connected to blackbirds they're connected to ravens red raven if you're going to go for the blood raven angle he's got he's linked to the color red it works for alliteration but in general no darkwing that's another one makes me think <laughs> of the duck though unfortunately but that, that gets a good a few votes in my mind also, a group of ravens is an unkindness, I believe. That's wow. not a bad name for a that. sword. Is it unkindness? <laughs> I think it is. I might be wrong. I might be wrong there. Do you have... All right. What's your final pick, though? You're down to the wire. You got to name it right now. <laughs> okay. For all my black, my 10 Blackwood names, I'm going to call it... I'm going to go the Pokemon angle. I'm going to call it Razorleaf. Ooh. I like that. <laughs> might, might be rubbish, but in my mind, uh, yeah, I'm settling it. And <laughs> uh, whatever... House Manister is another like really super old house I could see having one squirreled away for beating back the Ironborn. What would they call theirs? Winged Wave? But the eagle Ooh. with the what they're looking at. That'd be cool. Yeah. What about yeah. you? Have you got any? Um, I'm not very good at this kind of thing, I'll be honest with you. But um, I was tough. thinking about thinking about an ancient house, House Westerling. Um, so hmm. their house words are honor, not honors. Um I might have mentioned uh, in my introductory episode that I'm a fan of Brandon Sanderson as well. So I just love the idea that there could be an honor blade out there. <laughs> something uh, something nice. very commonly referenced in uh, Stormlight Archives. So uh, not not a great pick or anything like that, but it, it did amuse me. It probably beats out Razorleaf, I would think. Please, uh, yeah, like like you said, I really hope that our listeners send us some some more theoretical sword names. Uh, I would love that. Yeah, that's definitely one we could we could make a nice little list out. People put a graphic up on on Twitter or something on Patreon. I think all of you out there can do a really good job naming some swords for us. But yeah, definitely do that. Uh, otherwise, we're already halfway through. Uh, we're on to question. 16 now i'll take this one because it's another one of mine actually so it makes sense i'll read it uh, emily who do you think is going to be the most disappointing or maybe the, the most likely to get an early exit now you could look at this a few ways you could look at it on uh, like the national stage out the big players or maybe you want to choose a more specific like micro situation but i thought of this question based on the structure of earlier books, because we almost always lose someone, lose a major player early on. Uh, Robert Baratheon dies very early on in game. Renly even earlier, I think, in Clash. And then Rob's halfway through Storm and Balon and Joffrey aren't too far either side of him as well. Uh, everyone thinks that Mance dies early on in Dance, even if we know he really doesn't. So really, it's only Feast that's come through or maybe there is an example for Feast. If there is, I've forgotten one. Is there another that you can think of? Or do you have a more a more specified situation you want to talk about? Yeah, sure. Um, I think this is tough. We've, we've got like so many battles about to kick off that I think hmm. we're going to see casualties. Um, and, and some of those casualties are going to hit us hard, I think. So um, I know you're going to hate my answer for this one. But uh, thinking of the Battle of Fire, I kind of wonder if uh, we could see Barristan fall here. You know, he's in control now. 
we've gotten hints from some of the sample chapters that the the tide of battle is going to go in his way uh, with some of the the turned sellsword companies. But Barristan still got a lot of Miranese who would happily let him be their champion, fight in the war, win the battle, and then plant a dagger right in his back. Um, mm. You know, they they don't really want Westerosi control. They don't, there's a huge culture clash between, you know, not just Daenerys and the Miranese, but especially an old knight from Westeros who, you know, can't get the, the titles right, who can't kind of break the customs <laughs> of Westeros and, and adapt. Um, and in general, is just kind of mucking things up. They don't, you know, he's not wanted there. With with Danny gone, I think they'll find it, uh, you know, plenty of opportunities to try to uh, to deal with him. Now, I really don't want this to happen. I would love <laughs> to see him uh, make it well past this. I think we've talked uh, before, and we'll talk again about, you know how he'll adapt to hearing about Aegon, but, uh, you know, he's got to make it out of Meereen before that that can come about. So that that's one of my answers. I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it could equally be Victorian. There's so many POVs over in in or around Meereen right now that unless they scatter again, they're not necessarily all needed to be there. Um True, so, true. We'll see. Yeah, I agree with that. I won't go too far into it, but for anyone who's listened to Scraps and Scrolls, I mean, you're right completely. We've gone through that quite a lot, the possibilities of Scarhaz, possibilities of the Pit Fighters. Um, even though it looks uh, quite good for him at the moment, that almost worries you more, I think. If you've been reading George for any amount of time, when he gives good things, that's normally more cause for concern than when he gives bad things, because that's what normally happens. But yeah, I could, I'm, right. all, I'm with you. I hope it's not Barristan, but it could be. Yeah, I think so much like, you know, I mean, a lot of theories I had going into, you know, book two or book three or book four, it was like, oh, all the characters that I'm used to are going to survive. And here's what I think they'll do in the next series. And then, you know, nope, that's not what happens. <laughs> They're dead now. Got to reconfigure. And so given the nature of this question, I tried to pick things where it was like, you know, we, we can see a path for them forward, but you know, they're in harm's way right now. Will they make it out? You know, another thing that I was thinking about is I'm expecting a death during the tourney of the veil. Um, maybe, you know, kind of to harken back or to mimic the death of Sir Hugh in the first book. So, um, I know you've got a lot of thoughts on this. You've been digging into, uh, to Elaine lately. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about that, like the thematic link of a veilman going down in the tourney that would like you say make a lot of sense considering the death of sir hugh i really like looking back at the hands tourney in terms of sansa so that would really really strike if she's seeing two very very similar things to me it would be pretty funny if it was harry that went down straight away just because it would mess with little fingers plans and i like that idea oh yeah <laughs> i would also like the idea of there being a faction that have realized what peter baelish is up to and maybe they're taking steps to stop his moves now i don't think there's many that would want harry dead but you never know maybe there is maybe there's like a rogue faction going on there so yeah uh, i have covered again i won't go too far into it that is another scraps and scrolls area but i could definitely see that happening uh, yeah. you expect i reckon there's probably i mean how many deaths does a tawny average at least oh, one you would think, at least normally. one or two yeah, yeah i think you know another option especially if we're going with the mimicking of of sir hugh is um you know who might Littlefinger want to fall because they know too much and he doesn't want people to be able That's to ask them point. questions you know there's several candidates for that um i 
I, good luck to anyone who tries to take down Lynn Corbray. I don't, you know, <laughs> good hmm. luck with that. Um, but, you know, maybe, you know, we know the Mad Mouse is there. And if, if Littlefinger or Sansa starts getting a bad feeling about him, well, uh, pretty easy to put a bounty on his head or to match him up against someone he can't withstand. So that that could be a way. Now, that's not, not a very disappointing or, you know, I wouldn't compare that to like Rob or Renly, but um, certainly something I've been thinking about. No, that's true. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of uh, the Mighty Mouse there. That would definitely be one we'd quite like to see, probably. That actually makes a lot of sense in my head, because so far we haven't seen any indication that Peter Baelish knows about him or is worried about him, but maybe he does know, and maybe he's just going to use this as a way to get rid of him without casting any suspicion on himself. That definitely sounds like him. As you say, there's probably some way he can get into some house's favour by killing this person off or that person off or whatever it might be. We've seen already countless examples of him doing exactly that, just a little nudge in this direction or that to get a house on side. So having someone die, yeah, that fits very, very well. I definitely think you're on, on something there. I think uh, the most likely answer based on the examples I gave at the beginning for me would probably, they'd probably point to Stannis. Now, we know there's already going to be a rumour about his death, uh, but I, I don't actually think it would be death this time that would be the most likely for him. I don't even think it would be defeat, not at the beginning. I still expect him to win Winterfell. I think most people do. I think it's the aftermath that might not go his way. I can still see Rickon suddenly appearing, or maybe even Sansa by that point. Timing's difficult, but maybe. Either way, I think what it will come down to is Stannis winning Winterfell for the North, defeating the Boltons, and doing what he should be doing, his plan going through. But then, ultimately, the North still shunning him, turning their backs, forcing him back up to the wall, uh, back into desperation. It looked like he's out of the running for the Iron Throne, at least initially. I think that really fits in with Stannis as, as a person who never gets his due in his mind. He never gets his thanks and no one yeah. ever likes and stuff like that. So I think that would fit really well with him if we're going to go by like those earlier kingly examples. I really like that. And I think that... Um you know, depending on who it is, what Stark it is who shows back up, that, that that could go two completely different ways. You know, I think if if Rickon shows back up, we know he's, you know, uh, he was already a wild child before. I can't imagine him, you know, toning it down or becoming more scholarly <laughs> in his time on Skagos. You know, so in that case, it could be, you know, more of a, well, I'm the king, you know, all this little, little boy's assertion. It could be, you know, more about the bannerman behind him saying, yeah, thanks for the help, but bye, see ya. We still want a king mm. in the north. We have one now. Whereas Sansa, I think, you know, there's more likelihood that she might initially try to get along with Stannis. You know, she tries to lead with kindness and love, but of course we've got Littlefinger in the background who certainly wouldn't want her aligning with anyone but him and you know trouble could be caused there not even to mention that I think that after Sansa spends any time with Stannis they're not going to get along I mean you know he he's not um, the most feminist of leaders in Westeros he you know I think he's more rigid he's they just they just don't seem like characters that i think would find a lot of common ground um so yeah i'm i'm curious to see what happens with that i love this point you've made well that'd be very very interesting in fact if uh, let's say it is sansa who comes up because so like stannis's whole deal is that he follows the letter of the law so if Sansa appears and they still think Bran and Rickon have died, no one brings Rickon up. Uh, and especially if they hear about John, again, the timing is very different. But if Stannis thinks that that possibility is now extinguished and he knows that Sansa is 
the heir to Winterfell, then he will give it up to her because, like I say, he follows, he does what's right. But he'll be annoyed about that because, as you say, he's not going to think that a woman, a, a young woman as well, can hold Winterfell in these of all times. He's going to want a Castellan or someone looking after. He's definitely not going to want that to be Peter Baelish if he's still around by this point. So he's going to try and probably impose his will on Sansa or push her this way or that way if he even sticks around that long. I mean, the, the North might just be like, get the hell out of here by now if they all and they have numbers if they all turn on him it's very very complicated there's lots of intricacies to consider here but definitely we could see that overall so yeah that sparks uh, an interesting idea you bring up there i can't imagine that stannis will be excited to see baelish like they no they do not <laughs> they clearly already hated each other um uh, you know and and uh yeah it kind of depends on who has the greater strength how that goes because i think if stannis is in his full power he'll be like get this joker out of here Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's aligned with Cersei, like, and yeah, how that'll actually shake out, you know, I got to imagine if Littlefinger's going to make that move, he's, he's prepared for a reaction like that from Stannis. He's, yeah, you know, oh, for all the negative things we can say about Baelish, he is an overprepared, overly cautious, cunning person. And so I can't mm-hmm. imagine that he'd just walk into Stannis's knife, you know. The, the other choice I could have for someone going down early, and I, I take no joy in this answer because I quite like one of its members, Garland, just to give you a hint, is House Tyrell. Uh, I, I've already mentioned earlier on, I can't really see how the trials will go. I think Marjorie's going to get out of it okay, but then Cersei will take her revenge at some point. She's going to have to take someone out before Aegon comes to crash the party. Maybe that's Marjorie. Maybe it's killing her. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just removing her from her queenly status. Uh, Mace is probably going to meet his end at Storm's End Siege version 3. I remain highly suspicious of Randall Tarly being a friend in the Reach, and even if he's not, then someone is. So I can see them turning on Tyrells. I can see the Tyrells finding themselves with many less friends than they originally thought, especially if if Euron defeats uh, Paxton Redwine's fleet and and that, that kind of thing. Garland, we know, is going off to fight the ironborn he could run into trouble hopefully he doesn't die because i quite like carlin but even even if he survives and the other tyrells have to leave king's landing maybe they hole up at, at high garden or brightwater keep but i could just see it being the end of their time in king's landing and their position in the great game being like essentially destroyed they're knocked down a few pegs and loris would be an interesting part of that because it might be he's already dead so he just plays a part in there for the house in that area but let's imagine if he if he's not and he was faking all along as some sort of secret plan or another and then he returns to find his family gone or arrested or for, or whatever that's going to be a, quite a shock for him yeah that's really interesting and you know the idea that he's already dead and that that's not out yet um draws an interesting parallel to Renly where you know in the Battle of the Blackwater he you know they they don Renly's armor and you know pretend he's still Mm. in it and to you know will we see something similar or is this going to parallel that at all so I I love that I mean even if they even if none of this does happen you've still got to figure when Aegon comes along it's probably not going to bode too well for them maybe they can cut a deal maybe they don't i mean they're definitely not going to be as in a good a position as they were with cersei and like we spoke about earlier that's this isn't even talking about the accusations of murder and what varus is going to get to there's lots of things going on but i could definitely see them falling out of favor pretty quickly and just to add on one more answer here at the end tommen for example if we really do need a king to die early on it could be tommen the sand snakes are coming it could go pretty quickly in the book i think 
I think that's that's a great pick. And I think especially when we've got Doran coming into the mix, you know, they hold Marcella. Um, obviously, the Queenmaker plot failed, but certainly uh, wouldn't be a bad card for Doran to be holding to say, okay, mm-hmm. Cersei, like we have your, your only remaining child. You better play nice or <laughs> <laughs> um, just, just bringing her kind of back into relevance again through the death of Tommen could be quite interesting. Okay, do you want to move us on to question 17, Emily? You know that I would. This is actually mm-hmm. my question. Um, hey. <laughs> I want to know, and I think you already have a, I mean, no one's going to be surprised by your answer, but will Sweet Robin survive wins? And if not, why not? Yeah, lots of Veil talk today. I find that we're getting quite a lot of Veil questions in general, considering that like we've only had that one chapter and it's like a small part of the plot, really. Everyone's just desperate to see more Sansa, I think. But as to our question, ultimately, no. Uh, unfortunately, I don't see Sweet Robin surviving. But I, I do find that pretty unfortunate. I would, for my personal use, I'd like him to continue on as long as possible because we see in that Elaine preview chapter, he is growing into a bit of a fawn. Like he, he just knows things he shouldn't really be able to know. He's annoying Peter Baelish's plans a little bit more than he should be in his condition. It'd just be cool to see this essential human puddle actually provide some resistance and not go as easy as you'd think he would. But no, in the end, I don't think it really makes sense for him to survive if Sansa's suspected plot with Harry is to go the way we think it will, I think he's gonna he's gonna have to go, isn't he? Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. I think you know, given what we talked about in the last question about potential attorney deaths, it could be pretty interesting pivot if we do see Harry struck down early. You know, how does that change the plans that Littlefinger and Sansa have? If all of a sudden there is no heir and they're stuck with Sweet Robin, um, what does that mean? And and have they already gone too far and basically slowly poisoning him with with <laughs> uh, Sweet Sleep? And um, you know, can they come back from that if all of a sudden they do need an Aaron? pliable and uh you know needing to be around a bit longer i think ultimately it's gonna have to be either Littlefinger or sweet robin going down um i don't see them both making it through the book Littlefinger has a considerable advantage here he's an adult he's healthy he's intelligent you know he's got basically everything going for him even if sansa gets cold feet about the plan or starts to realize the seriousness of what she's you know been involved in and kind of been doing to him um i don't think she's progressed far enough from pawn to player just yet to be able to successfully block Littlefinger if he does want to make a move so even if she says hey i i see what you're doing i don't think i'm cool with this um i don't think that that'll be enough to stop him if he wants Sweet Robin gone. You know, that could obviously change in in wins, but I tend to agree that Sweet Robin is probably not long for the world. Yeah, and I think that'll be a sad day when it finally does come. I, I know he's ultra annoying and grinding, especially early on in Game of Thrones. Uh, I know he's written to be that way, but consider what he's actually been through of late, or not even of late, but before Game of Thrones, during Game of Thrones, and then especially from Storm onwards. He's he's been dealt the worst possible hand he's had all this tragedy he's being completely manipulated he's being abused first off with like you say with the sweet sleep and it's peter fucking baelish orchestrating all that so it would be a true tragedy to see him go after all that hardship and to give baelish another win that's not something i want to see uh it's interesting yeah. actually though we just brought up rick on it would be it'd be weird parallel if we lose one young unpliable kid and then Rickon comes back in. And other, yes, he's very, very different in nature to Sweet Robin. He could be the same fawn annoyance in terms of not 
just like you say being too wild and not controllable and uh, wind everyone up so it'd be interesting if we lose one to get the other back yeah that that would be interesting and you know noting the point that you made about how he's annoying or grinding i think you and i actually got into it recently with a with a few folks uh in the fandom about this who aren't big mm. sweet robin fans because uh ultimately he's a young child and you know there are a lot of obnoxious bratty young children out there but i think ultimately like you know that's something that i don't like to hold against kids until they've matured and seen if they can grow out of it i mean just like a lot of the sans i hate that come comes in early because of the mistakes she's making. He's a young boy. He is, like you said, dealt a really difficult hand in his life. His mom really fucked him up. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got Peter fucking Baelish coming in as act two of that. Um, he, you know, I think I I feel bad for this kid. It's going to be tragic if, if he goes down, even if I certainly wouldn't want to be his babysitter. Yeah, exactly right. You can see why he's annoying and it's difficult to read sometimes, but I challenge anyone to be dealt that same hand that he has and not turn out that exact same way because that is just what would happen it's completely realistic how george has written that certainly okay let's move on to question 18 heading towards the the last leg here this one is from another good friend is micah who's sent in quite a few good questions actually this one for this week is this what possible events happening at the end of Dance or during Winds do you think that Bran could see through the Weirwood net in The Winds of Winter, such as possibly the death of Roose Bolton, which is Micah's own suggestion? Another big, big question here. Yeah. First of all, thank you, Micah. Uh, you always send really meaty questions and I love it. Mm. I'm going to start us off here with a rundown of some known Weirwood locations. I think that that's probably the most likely view that will get through things. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. know if it's like the show where all of a sudden Bran can just see and do anything in time and history or if it's going to be a little bit more pared down, especially now. You know, I could see his powers growing, but for now, I think he's going to need um, a Weirwood or an animal or something to kind of be that that his eyes, basically. Yeah. So rundown of Weirwood locations. Obviously, uh, here on the aisle, we have to start with the Isle of Faces. I know earlier you said you didn't necessarily want to see it. I think if we do see it, the way I would want to see it is a glimpse through Bran. I want a little bit of that mystery kept alive, but um, certainly some interesting things in history have probably gone down on the aisle and, and maybe we'll get a little bit of a glimpse. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we've got the heart tree at Winterfell. Um, this is, you know, I think what Micah was referencing in his question. So I want to give it some weight here. You know, that's currently where Roose Bolton is. Obviously, um, there were there was a lot going on in the show uh, with important characters, battles, etc. All going down in the Godswood. So I think that, you know, even if we don't want to take too much of the show into account here, that, that there's certainly a good chance. And that is definitely going to be the weirwood tree that Bran has the most personal connection with. And so it makes sense that that'd be somewhere he spends a lot of time we already kind of have seen it a little bit in terms of some of the the things he's flashed back to at winterfell we've also seen him kind of be there during dance like he's whispered or we assume it's bran anyway we don't know but we're making the fairly solid assumption that it is bran speaking to fion through the weirwood so he mm-hmm. might have seen the wedding he might have seen fion after and we're not sure how much he's seen maybe he literally gets flashes but if he sees enough to see that the boltons are in control or that winterfell is being attacked in battle that might be one of the catalysts that like wakes him up and he's like no i i actually need to go back to the living world or i need to try and affect it more because he thinks 
Winterfell's dead and gone and empty, obviously, from when he left it. If he sees that things are going on in the north and in his home, that might be one of the things that actually kind of jars him awake and makes him more, a bit more active. So that's definitely a good a good suggestion for Micah. Yeah. Um, next on my list here is Casterly Rock. Casterly Rock lists high up on the places of people are kind of hoping to see in the next book. We think it's coming. Up until now, there have been no major events uh, in the in the you know current timeline of A Song of Ice and Fire that have, I think are worth showing there. I think you know all the Lannisters have been kind of spread out either in King's Landing or at war, so there's not a ton immediately that that you know um we would need to see but that could change if any prominent characters go there you know we're we're probably likely to see it through their eyes since we have a lot of po you know all three of tywin's kids have a pov chapter but you know if we see the ironborn or aegon or daenerys show up there instead uh you know could we get a glimpse of that through bran i don't know you just talked about the tyrells so let's move on to high garden uh, lots of turmoil in the Stormlands and potentially the Reach and Winds. Um, you know, Bran seeing something at Highgarden could provide an angle into the conflict there without having to maneuver a POV specifically to that castle. So it's a nice option to have uh, from a storytelling perspective. Mm. River Run has its own godswood as well. The Riverlands have been absolutely ravaged, and River Run is currently under the control of Lord Emon Frey. With the Brotherhood still in the Riverlands and so much still raging on in the war of the I don't even know how many kings and queens now, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> we could definitely get a window into someone, uh, you know, retaking that from the Freys. Uh, you know, I, I, I find it really entertaining to watch, uh, you know, the uh, Bran kind of watching the pathetic Lord Frey sent packing. Uh, so who knows? Yeah, that's a good pick, that one. That would be because he might just be curious and be like, oh, I guess I could look at where my mother comes from what's going on there and things like that and then yeah. oh <laughs> massive battle maybe he even this is touching a little bit on a later question but maybe he even catches a glimpse of stoneheart and again something awakens inside of me is like oh hang on wait a minute and all these kind of things yeah um you know we've got a- another riverlands location that i don't have a ton of ideas for would be heron hall mm. We also know that there's a heart tree at White Harbor. Bran, you know, maybe flashing back and witnessing some of the planning of the Manderleys and kind of uh, giving a little bit more backstory into some of the theories that are out there about what they're up to uh, could be pretty interesting. Um, you know, we've got Hollow Hill in the Riverlands where we met the ghost of Highheart. Uh, we've had a couple of characters traipsing through the Riverlands see it or spend a little time there. Actually, the ruins of the Whispers, which is the resting place of Nimble Dick, has a heart tree. I don't, you know, see any need to go there, but just worth noting. There is a Weirwood Grove, of course, uh, north of Castle Black, where John took his vows. Um, There's White Tree as well. You know, there's plenty of activity north of the Wall. So I think, you know, if we if we need a view into the large scale movement of the others and what's going on up there, uh, you know, there's options as well. And then I also just really briefly want to touch on some of the rumored or possible additional locations that, where we don't have necessarily deep confirmation, but that there certainly could be a weirwood tree, which would be Skagos, Derry, Deepwood Mott, Raven Tree Hall. We know the tree there is actually dead, but we don't know if that means that you can't look through it anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Make some assumptions, but, you know, and then beyond the trees itself, uh, Bran could also use his warging powers. Uh, we discussed last time how he's... Con- continually tempted to use them to control Hodor 
to get close to Mira, but, you know, he's got plenty of other uses for them as well. Uh, Summer, any of the other dire wolves we know about. I think people are really um, hyped or interested in the idea that maybe he could warg into a dragon and see through their eyes. And, um, uh, you know, of course, we've got ravens or birds or, uh, you know, any animal that he might be aware of or, or tied to in some way that, that he could see through as well. And that opens up a whole lot more possibilities of, of what could be seen. Yeah, I think the the ravens, the birds, that's probably the one we're, we're getting close to because in Fionn's preview chapter, which I know we've had to delay, but I've already been through it. So in that one, I actually forgot before re- rereading it, but at the end, the ravens are actually saying Fionn's name out loud. So they're obviously, I mean, it might not be Bran, it could be Blood Raven, but you think it's probably Bran. They're probably being used by him as, as again, cameras, or even microphones in this case. So I think in that case, probably the one of the options we're probably more certain of, if we had to put money on it, would be Bran witnessing Fionn's death. Again, from that preview chapter, Asher is asking Stannis to execute Fionn in front of the heart tree instead of burning him. That would wrap into a lot of Fionn's themes and stuff like that. And he's actually covered the prospect of that himself as well, both in that preview chapter and at the end of Dance. So that makes sense. Uh, in terms of other things he could look through as well, I've long wondered if Bran ever learns to look through disconnected pieces of weirwood, like weirwood that's been used for something else. Like it's part of the moon door, I think, and someone's got like a staff made of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, probably not because you'd think they're not connected to the, the weirwood net, as people call it. But if he did, that would open up the door, obviously, to see basically anything. Because like you, I, I don't think it goes to like the show where he can just tap into it wherever he likes. I think he needs like a tether somewhere. But maybe not. Who knows? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, this isn't some high fantasy novel where everyone's just like, you know, dripping with ambient magic. So um, I, I do agree that at least in wins, I think where he's still coming into his full power, he's not going to just be able to teleport his consciousness to anywhere in the known world. I think we we need that tether. Now, um, mm. you know, how creative we can get with that tether, we'll find out. <laughs> Yeah, but, true. Um, yeah, yeah. Great question from Micah. Um, I love it. I'm so excited to see where this goes. Well, I've got one more ands here, uh, which might have been, even been the inspiration for this question. Maybe not. Maybe I'm being a bit cocky. But I once suggested on Twitter, and I know Micah reacted to it, that maybe Bran is inside the weirwood that Shireen is tied to when she is inevitably burned and therefore he's present and really like feels her death feels the burning of it uh, just to take it really really super dark here for a moment that was met by by some reactions if I remember correctly on Twitter like I said I think Mike might have been one of them so I'm going to stick with that answer just to really freak everyone out a bit Oh, that gives me goosebumps to think about. I, I know it's <laughs> yeah, coming. It we know it's coming, but I still, I just like have this mental block on it. I don't, I don't like to sit around and think of the sweet, innocent children of the series dying. So <laughs> no, we won't go any um, further into that, but I've planted the image no. in everyone's mind. Yeah. Yeah. Sleep well tonight, folks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a quick switch to the next question. Shall I? Yeah. Yeah. Let's move along. <laughs> yeah. We'll go right along. We won't sure. on that too much. So we spent a lot of time in Westeros this episode. So let's move move to a Daenerys question. This comes from Brian Fisher, who's Kajani B on Twitter. Hope I said that right. The question is, could Daenerys use the Dragonbinder horn and not burn up due to her innate heat tolerance from being a Targaryen? Uh, You know, we saw this in the funeral pyre, etc. So what do you think? Well, firstly, I'm glad we said heat 
tolerance instead of just like fire resistance because that that used to be an idea that i think most people have left by the wayside she's not just completely fire resistant i guess it really depends on whether you think the horn is purely like a fire weapon or is it a dark magic weapon i lean towards the latter there's something more than just it doesn't just heat up a person like there's something more to it it's yeah. blood magic is it, something unknown to us so i don't think it just requires that heat tolerance of the Targaryens to protect against it. And um, personally, I don't think she'll require it in the first place, but maybe she does. I mean, we, there's lots of theories we could go down about her losing one or more of her dragons. Maybe she needs the horn to get them back. I like to think there's other avenues for her to take, or I like to think that she wouldn't need them herself. Anyway, I definitely don't like the idea that she needs them just to control them because that would take quite a lot away from like her final dance chapter where she's learning without horns and um, other spells and stuff like that with Drogon I wouldn't want that kind of corrupted by oh here's a horn by the way and no I, I don't really want that I quite like her taking the the tough route um, but let's say she does require it well she doesn't have to blow it herself remember as we already know from talking about Euron and Victarion and the others who've blown it that's not how it works she just needs someone right. who she like they she has their heart type thing so actually i think jordan woman would be a better candidate maybe that's how he makes up for everything that he's done is like, i'll risk it i'll blow the horn for you to get your dragon back he she definitely does own his heart we know that and he mm -hmm. would like to make things up for her he'd probably like to live and do that but maybe not yeah that's that's a great answer i agree with you that i don't think that daenerys like needs the horn unless somehow one of her dragons is stolen or she's desperate if that's the case i don't necessarily see that whole thing going down in winds specifically mm. you know to kind of turn it on its head and because we think you know uh she's likely to reclaim all three of her dragons before coming west i'm curious about another targaryen getting a hold of the horn you know, we know that John and, and Aegon are not necessarily immediately poised with access to the horn, especially John. And we've seen evidence that John has been affected by fire before with his burned hand. But as both oh, yeah. you and Brian have pointed out here, burning isn't the same thing as heat resistance. In the books, uh, Daenerys's hair is burned off in the funeral pyre. Yeah. Um, she really should have much shorter hair <laughs> in, uh, in at least in at least Clash. Either way. I think, you know, Aegon is certainly closer to Euron right now, actually alive, unlike Jon, and therefore a more likely candidate if we're talking about Targaryens who might get the corn, or <laughs> who might get the horn. Could his attempted use of it prove definitively his Targaryen bloodline? You know, it, hmm. it might even be a further cloaking of his potential Blackfire identity if he does find a way to use it safely, certainly you know, Blackfires have Targaryen blood, even if it's not legitimate, uh, but that could be a great way to prove, look, I'm a genuine Targ, you think I'm some swapped out baby, well, I'll blow this horn and prove to you I'm not. Um, and then what happens next could be very interesting. Yeah, I mean, could this be Aegon's way of securing one of the dragons? Is he one of the heads mm. of the dragon? And, you know, he's, I don't think Daenerys is necessarily poised to want to give him one. Uh, Tyrion made some great points about why why she wouldn't be immediately excited to have him on her side. So um, I have a hard time thinking she'll just hand one over. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely going to be a case of taking dragons more than receiving dragons, especially in Aegon's case. I can't see that happening. Yeah, good good candidates all around there. Uh, just, just one more, actually, to add on the Jorah Mormont idea. I mean, he has, he has already been branded, so that kind of fits in there. And then we could call him the Burnt Bear from, uh, from then on if he does blow the horn and gets burnt <laughs> up. 
That can be his nickname and the good riddance. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for our last question for today? Yeah, let's, let's go for it. Let's go. Let's go with question 20 then. This is sent in from the Hedge Knight, another of our esteemed friends from the Radio Restos Discord called a fellow mold of ours. It is, how do you see the Lady Stoneheart story panning out? And might Aya play a part in her demise? Uh, the Hedge Knight is convinced that she will. Big question to finish off. Sure. Um, well, I think you mentioned early on that this is definitely something that we're having a hard time predicting in terms of the immediate mm-hmm. outcome of Stoneheart um, and the trial. But I think y- you and I are probably in agreement that we expect Lady Stoneheart to make it out of that whole tussle. Whether the rest of them do, we don't know. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the the idea that Arya is going to have some part in her demise is certainly a popular theory. So some points to make there. Um, I love the idea recently she's taken up the moniker of Mercy. Meanwhile, we know that Lady Stoneheart is sometimes called Mother Merciless. So that's an interesting comparison there. And I think it, it ties them together in in ways that, you know, we've seen her take Cat over Catelyn, but now, you know, she's shifted into Mother Merciless and we have Mercy. So I, I just love that clever <laughs> wording from George. I don't see Stoneheart being cut down sooner than Arya's return to Westeros. She's in a position of power right now. We're expecting Jaime and Brienne to come before her early in wins, probably for some kind of trial, as you said. While there is some thematic possibility for Brienne and or Jaime to be her downfall, particularly given the theme of vows for all of those characters and the vows that they spoke to Catelyn during her life being the chief focus of the trial, one or both of them ending her undead crusade could fit. However, Lady Stoneheart has a ton of backing from the Brotherhood, particularly some fearsome characters like Lem or some cunning characters. Uh, You know, I also think that the risk to Podrick, um, you know, is something that Brienne would certainly be taking into account when thinking about doing something reckless here. Um, Mm. You know, Arya obviously has some travel to do, but I think we're all expecting her to eventually break from the House of Black and White, uh, either through a graduation, a mission, or I mean, she might just get kicked out right away for what she does in the Mercy chapter. I don't know how quickly they're going to tie that back to her. Um, she's certainly working her way, you know, towards becoming Arya Stark of Winterfell again. Yeah, or she might even, she might start hearing rumours. I mean, we think that she might meet Jane Poole. If she hears about John, perhaps, then she might just break off mid-mission and, and go missing, go AWOL or anything like that, really. So I could do multiple hours on this topic I'll, I'll try and keep it short I'll try and keep it to a summary because we're we're at the end here but to be honest my answer doesn't differ too much from yours i have discussed this probably ad nauseum so many times before on scraps and scrolls basically at any chance i get because catelyn is my favorite well we love hearing enough- it <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was even lucky enough to go on a Radio Westeros live stream last year to talk about Stoneheart. So I'll give the the overview, which, like I say, is difficult because Catelyn is my favourite character. And if someone told me that I could only ever read one plotline from Winds and, and no others, I would probably choose Stonehearts if I'm being honest with you. <laughs> I do see Aya returning to interact with her mother like you and the Hedge Knight of guests quite possibly in the giving of that ultimate mercy i think that's fairly clearly telegraphed from what we've seen and the naming conventions and all that kind of stuff i've gone on and on and on in the past about the need for there to be a moment of at least a moment maybe more moments of connection between the two between mother and daughter because they weren't as close as they should have been 
back in their home life and I think that's a massive massive regret for both of them after they leave and obviously the opportunity for that dies Sansa was more Catelyn's girl whereas Arya was closer to Ned she was veering much more into the Stark lineage she was more like Diana she was closer to Jon all those kind of things but then since the family has actually broken Ned fell and everything else they've had more than enough connection thematically Aya was trying to get to River Run that whole time we, we thought maybe she would get back to Catelyn Aya was the guardian or the justicar of the Riverland she was the one out on the field seeing all the crimes she was the one that paid some of it back she honoured her tully blood we concentrated on that a lot when she killed the tickler at the inn and, and obviously she was outrageously close to actually getting back to Catelyn at the twins just before her mother's death so I absolutely see them reuniting and I personally would like to see it at River Run as well. I think that's another important part for both characters. I think Aya's Riverland story is unfinished. She spent so long trying to get there, she never quite managed it. So I'd like to see that finally fulfilled. As for Catelyn, River Run is it's her Winterfell, it's where her soul resides. She wants to avenge it, she wants to get it out of free hands. We spoke about that very quickly earlier on. And just to throw some other ideas in there, like I say, I could just go on about what I've said already. I'm <laughs> saying this is the short version. I know it doesn't seem like it, but it really, really is. But to throw some other ideas in there quickly, I still maintain that it'd be cool to see Sansa go to Riverrun as well. The idea of both daughters following in their mother's footsteps around the Riverlands for Aya, around the Vale for Sansa, that could come to a head with the ultimate reunion in Riverrun. Imagine all three of them being back together. And they would believe their female half to be all that's left of House Stark, especially if news of Jon has come south. So that would be the most amazing parting gift you could give to Stoneheart to see her daughters together again. And it's most likely a pipe dream, I'm aware of that, but it's a damn cool pipe dream, I say. That's all right. I mean, I actually have an idea for how Sansa could get there, which would be for the Mad Mouse to, you know, be successful, actually, mm. um, you know, get her heading out of the Vale and, and back through the Riverlands. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if he was, you know, somewhat successful at first, but then, you know, ran smack into someone from the Brotherhood. <laughs> You know, I think that, that that could be pretty interesting. And and like you said, for, for both of them to be in front of their mother one more time, especially, you know, hearkening back to the topic we had of vows, you know, um, that that could, you know, should Jamie get away or prove his innocence in trial, this could be kind of that final snippet of evidence of like, look, you know, your daughters have returned to you. Maybe I didn't mm, personally bring it all about, but in a, in a way, here they are. Um, or, you know, <laughs> if something goes wrong for Brienne or Jamie in that trial and then... Sansa and Arya or just Arya who knows show back up in front of their mother that that could be you know justification or or kind of the the ultimate you know last nail in the coffin for Stoneheart in terms of look what you've done in the name of vengeance you slaughtered so many and and yet here they are here are your daughters doing just fine you know maybe we don't need your vengeance anymore yeah there's a lot of a lot of avenues it could take there's a lot of lessons to be learned especially on those themes of vengeance and obviously it not being the best of ideas that's very much centered around feast and Aya's storyline as well in general i think there are routes that sansa could get there's many different routes that sansa could take to the riverlands she could be going there with baelish i mean if the north we know that's not his initial plan but that doesn't mean that can't be blocked off he's got a change or they want to he is the ruler of the riverlands technically still maybe he wants to pop in Pop in, see how it's going. Because I'd quite like that as well. If Peter Baelish actually got to look literally in the ravaged face of all that he's created and the one person that it was all supposed to be for and maybe she kills him, well, I would tip my cap to that. That would 
finish me off, I think. But there's also, <laughs> there's room for so much more as well. There's room for Stoneheart to head north, especially if she hears, let's say, before Aya or Sansa return. If she hears that Aya is getting married up in the hands of the Boltons at Winterfell, well, I mean, she needs to go up there anyway, didn't she? She knows that Bolton betrayed and literally killed Rob. It was him that did it. So she needs to visit vengeance upon him as well. That could be something on her to-do list. We've already seen her kind of dip in and out of the neck a bit. Oh, there's rumours about that. So she might already be thinking that way. But other than the girls, the interaction I would most like to see is Catelyn reuniting with her beloved uncle Brynden, the Blackfish Tully, who's one of my favourites. Again, I've gone on about this multiple times. It seems almost simple to say it at this point, but yeah, fuck yes, I would like to see the Blackfish join up with the Brotherhood and wage this war of vengeance upon the Freys and take the Riverlands and take Riverrun back. I really want to see him initially meet his beloved niece again and, and how that works, how he's able to, if he's able to accept it or get that through his mind at all. I want to see his terrain-based tactics blend seamlessly with the Brotherhood. Uh, I've mentioned before about the corruption of the Brotherhood. I want to see the resolution of that and how far that goes. Also, how they're going to react to winter, because it will severely hamper how the Brotherhood operates. Will Stoneheart have to take a base? Will it be River Run? There's a thousand different questions I could go on yeah. and on and on. But uh, <laughs> I want all of those good things, <laughs> the good part of seeing her again. But like I say, I have expanded on countless times. I would really like to see all of those. Yeah. You absolutely gave me chills with the, the idea of Blackfish joining the Brotherhood. I think that could be such an interesting uh, exploration of knighthood and, and honor again. You know, we generally think of the, the Blackfish mm. as someone who's very, very stubborn in his ideals. And, you know, while he's good at guerrilla tactics and while he uh, has a lot you know, of of reason to want to go after the phrase, is he going to be comfortable with the extent and the lengths at which the Brotherhood is willing to take? And could there be conflict there? Um, we certainly are, are leaning towards it being Arya who takes him out. But uh, I have to imagine that if I saw my niece, who I love very much, uh, turned into a uh, vengeance-filled zombie, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> traipsing across the land uh, with company like some of the brotherhood i don't know if i would be okay with that <laughs> yeah quite possible quite possible uh, again very very hard to predict but definitely the one i'm most interested in that brin stuff I mean, i've been thinking about that for so long it's one of those ones i almost fall into the trap of being like almost doing it as fact like well yeah that is going to happen so i probably need to rein it back in and think about it more to be honest <laughs> Yeah. Well, gosh, what a great question to end things on. Thank you to the Hedge yeah, Knight like for one. this one. Uh, as we said, we really could have done a whole episode on this. And, you know, maybe someday. Who knows? Uh <laughs> yeah. I have before. Do it again. Right. Well, as just a little reminder to everybody, uh, you know, we're still looking for more questions. Please tweet at us. Please email us. You know, uh, join our Patreon campaign where you can get a lot more direct access to us and some of the, the you know, fun things. And uh, for all our patrons, we certainly will be addressing all of your questions. So please keep them coming. Yeah, absolutely. And don't forget your answers as well. In fact, let's give a very, very quick basic rundown of the questions we've tackled today, 11 through 20. We asked what locations that we've never been to are we looking forward to seeing and wins? We said, who is the next nimble dick or the fan favorite? Uh, which storyline or character we find most difficult to predict? Uh, what Tywin was doing in Lease all those years ago? Will any new Valerian steel swords, especially make up your own? Tell us about the houses you think uh, deserve one or maybe have one and give us your names. 
We've got, uh, you know, who is the most disappointing storyline in wins or the one to get an early exit? We, you know, want to know your thoughts on whether Sweet Robin will survive or not. Which potential events uh, happening at the end of Dance or through wins that Bran could see through the Weirwood net? We asked about Danny and the Dragonbinder horn, as well as, you know, potential other candidates for, for using that horn safely or not in the future. And this last question here about where we see the Lady Stoneheart storyline going. Absolutely. So plenty for you to think about, plenty for you to let us know about. And again, maybe we'll get to feature some of those answers. Either way, we thank you for joining us here on the Isle again and listening in, as well as everything else you do, whether it's liking a tweet or sharing it or being a wonderful, wonderful patron. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We will be back soon. Uh, we're doing a pretty good job of keeping this regular. Yeah. By the time you listen to this, uh, the Sporkle Spectacular will be out, so you can listen to that. Ariane 2 will probably be, if not out, then pretty soon. And Scraps and Scrolls will keep going as well. So uh, I'll say goodbye. Yeah, goodbye and thank you again. And we'll hopefully see everybody next time. Thank you one and all.